Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM and kink relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we're going to talk about poly relationships. I've often promised to talk about poly, but haven't hit it directly yet. And this week I had a comment from a listener and a question from a listener that gives me a very good segue into the overlap between BDSM and poly circles. Before we get into that, I want to shout out our Patreon supporters. I cannot tell you guys how much I appreciate your support. I'm turning all that money and putting it right back into the show. I hope you can see the improvements in lighting and sound and camera. And it really helps make this thing function. So for all of you out there that are supporting us via Patreon, thank you very much. Our new supporters this week are Jeffrey, Carrie, and Perry. Must be an RY suffix week. Thank you guys so much. I also want to send a special birthday shout out to Heather this week. You can find all of our contact information, show notes, and links to all of our sites on our website, www.wickedfellow.com. I've always mentioned that I talk about poly on this podcast because there is quite a bit of overlap in the kink and poly community. But a question I received from a listener this week gave me a good segue into this topic. Her question was... Is there room for people in BDSM who aren't poly? It seems that all the doms I meet are poly, and that is never something I've tried. I feel like I'm pretty monogamous, and I'm afraid that I'll get hurt if I do this. So yes, a large proportion of the people that I know in the kink community are poly, and there is a considerable overlap in the poly-kink Venn diagram. But it's not absolute. And I know kinky people who are strictly monogamous, and I know poly people who have no interest in being kinky. A quick insert here, as I realized I didn't answer the listener's question. You can certainly be in the kink community and be monogamous. There are lots of monogamous kinksters. While poly is a very popular relationship style within the BDSM community, it's not absolute by any means, and there are plenty of people that are perfectly happy to be monogamous with you. It's just one of the many things you need to communicate at the beginning of a kink or BDSM relationship. You know, as you're discussing your boundaries, you can say, I'm not comfortable being non-monogamous. If that's a deal breaker for you, then this relationship isn't going to work. Like any other boundary that you'd want to set in your BDSM relationship, monogamy is a big one. And that has to be something that is on the table from the very beginning. But yeah, there are plenty of people in the kink world that are monogamous. There are plenty of people that are happy to be monogamous with you. So don't let that be a barrier. I know that it can seem like everybody is poly, but they're really not. There's room for everybody. And I think everybody can find their place in the kink community. First, let's talk about what poly is. Polyamory is also called ethical non-monogamy. And the fact that it has to be differentiated from non-ethical non-monogamy should give you an idea about how strong the bias is towards monogamy in almost all modern cultures. At its simplest, polyamory means having more than one romantic partner concurrently. Most people practice serial monogamy and will have several romantic partners over their lifetime. Poly folks have multiple romantic partners at the same time. And I'm going to structure this around common questions that I get when I'm talking to people about being poly. I've lived this lifestyle for over a decade, and in truth, I've always been poly. It's always been the form of relationships that I've been most comfortable with, going way back to when I first started dating. So a question I get all the time is, so poly is just sleeping around, right? No. 
at least not by the majority of people who practice this form of ethical non-monogamy. Much like BDSM, there's no international board of standards for the polyamory community, and there are many different ways to practice ethical non-monogamy. Polyamory, though, meaning many loves, implies that you have actual relationships with more than one person at a time, and those relationships are usually more durable than just a one-night stand. The line between hooking up, friends with benefits, and dating is blurry, you know, just like in monogamous relationships. But in poly, someone isn't your partner unless you would consider them dating in the monogamy world. So it's just like friends with benefits, right? No, not any more than dating somebody is friends with benefits. I think the misunderstanding is the depth of the relationship. So most people would define dating as seeing someone regularly, possibly living together, and sharing more of your life than just sex. If you're only seeing somebody for sex, but you never hang out, you never go shopping together, or share any other day-to-day -day activities, I don't think people would see that as dating. There's nothing wrong with a strictly sexual relationship. I only use this to illustrate the difference between dating somebody and, say, hooking up, right? Polly is dating more than one person, having a fully realized relationship with more than one person. It's not just hooking up with them on occasion, at least not by my definition of polyamory, right? So the line is blurry when you talk about, you know, I'm seeing somebody or I'm hooking up with somebody or this is my friends with benefits or I'm dating this person. And we tend to take dating as being sort of a committed relationship. Like you wouldn't just disappear and stop seeing that person without some sort of explanation. And usually when you're dating somebody, you do more than just have sex with them. So while the intimacy part is usually a big aspect of people's relationships when it comes to dating, you know, it's going to the grocery store together. It's hanging out on Friday nights. It's seeing each other almost every day. You know, there's, there's another level to relationships once you start dating versus you're just seeing somebody. Maybe you only see them once or twice a week or once or twice a month. Dating tends to be more serious than that. And that's kind of the line in Polly as well. So no, it's not just sleeping around. It's I have this boyfriend or girlfriend, and I have this other boyfriend or girlfriend, and these are both serious relationships in my life, and they're durable, and they're lasting, and they take a considerable amount of time, for example. I'm not just seeing them once a month to have sex. There's nothing wrong with that if that is how you do your relationships. But being poly, you know, again, you're dating more than one person at a time. These are serious relationships. They're durable, lasting relationships. They just happen to happen concurrently. So everyone in a poly relationship sleeps together at the same time? No, not usually. When you are poly, your partner's partners are called your metamors. So if Jack is dating Jill and Jill has a partner named John, Jack and John are metamors, your partner's partner. Some polyamorous relationships do overlap, and sometimes all the members of a poly group are romantically involved with each other. If there are three people involved, it's called a triad. And if there are four, it's a quartet. If there are five, I have no idea because I've never met a functioning, fully realized five-way poly relationship. It might exist. And if you know the answer to that question, let me know. In order for you to have a, an actual triad, you know, all three members of the group would have to be romantically involved independent of each other. 
right? So Jack is seeing Jill, Jill is seeing John, John is seeing Jack, and everybody is combined within that triangle. If Jack is seeing Jill and John is seeing Jill, but Jack and John don't have a relationship, it's not a triad, right? That would be called a V-style poly. Um, now, it's possible that Jack and John have other partners, and it's possible that Jill and has other partners. You know, those, those metamors may branch out significantly, but it's actually fairly rare for all the members of a polygroup to be romantically involved. They may be friends, but we'll get to that in a little bit. It's much more common that metamors are not romantically involved with each other. Sometimes they don't even know each other or have never met each other. But I feel like a big part of the ethical and ethical non-monogamy is that all parties involved at least know about each other. Some polygroups practice what is called kitchen table poly, which means that all of the parties in a group are comfortable hanging out together and being social, even if that doesn't involve sex. So I could say, I'm getting dinner tonight with my girlfriend and her boyfriend and her boyfriend's partner. And that may seem a bit convoluted outside of the poly world, but that's fairly common within the poly world. Some people insist on having kitchen table poly relationships and some don't. And it's just meaning that if you're going to date me, you need to be comfortable with all of the other partners that I have or the other partner that I have. You know, poly groups usually aren't that large. And some people get this idea that, oh, you're dating six people at once. Sometimes, and we may touch on that, but usually we're talking about groups of three and four. You know, it's difficult to have lasting, meaningful relationships with large groups of people because everybody needs time and attention. And you can only divert your time and attention so many different ways before you start neglecting everybody. So yeah, you know, in my poly relationships, depending on how I'm doing poly, we'll get into that. Hold that thought. Personally, I'm somewhere in between. I want my poly partners to at least meet at some point when everybody's comfortable with that. I encourage friendships between them, but I don't insist upon it. I've learned the hard way that some people just aren't going to get along with each other. And no matter how well-intentioned you are or how well-intentioned they are, you can't force friendships. But I do have a strict policy on don't ask, don't tell poly relationships. Don't ask, don't tell is a form of poly where one of the parties is only comfortable with being poly if they never have to face it or hear about it, etc. I've never met a don't ask, don't tell poly person who was actually poly. It's usually an unfortunate situation that someone finds themselves in when they are with a poly person and they value that relationship enough to allow that person to continue their poly lifestyle, but they can only handle it if they are completely insulated from it and not confronted by it. And unfortunately, in my experience, it just doesn't work out. In poly, don't ask, don't tell is also a very common way of non-ethical non-monogamy, also known as cheating. You'll hear, oh, my wife is fine with me dating. She just can never meet you or hear about you or know that you exist in any way. While it's not impossible for some couple to have that situation and the wife is, you know, completely permissive of it or the husband is completely permissive of it and they're just not comfortable being confronted by it, 99 times out of 100, that person's not telling you the truth. And it's really unfortunate, you know. People who are genuinely poly won't have rules like you can never 
be known about. You can never be talked about. You can never be heard, spoken of, thought of. That's unethical behavior. That means somebody's not being told. Somebody is in the dark about this other relationship, and that is wrong. So for me, I will not be in a don't ask, don't tell poly relationship. I fully understand if my partner's partners don't want to hang out, and they don't want to be friends, and they don't want to get dinner together. You know, that's just people. Not everybody's going to get along. But I don't think secrecy works in poly, and I won't be a secret partner, and I won't have secret partners. It's just not my style. Speaking of cheating and non-ethical non-monogamy, can poly people cheat? Sure they can. Like most relationships, poly groups have rules and expectations of behavior. And secrecy may be one of those rules, like you can't keep secrets from us. My partners can date whoever they want, but they can't keep it secret from me. Like that's the idea of what poly is all about, is that if they're interested in somebody and they want to date that person, Great. I will be enthusiastically supportive of that relationship, but I don't want to be the last person to find out that one of my poly partners has a new boyfriend or girlfriend. That would be very wounding and that would be cheating in poly. Some poly groups have very extensive rules and some are very simple. Personally, my rule for poly is be considerate. And all the other rules that I've ever come up with fall underneath of be considerate. But I know that some people really like to have a framework and be considerate can mean different things to different people. The golden rule doesn't always apply because it's not always do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, especially in dom sub relationships. I think a better rule, perhaps a platinum rule is do unto others as they want to be done to, you know, treat people the way they want to be treated. And that's a big part of being considerate in poly relationships. While that can be a very good guideline, you still may have to come up with more rules for your relationships. You know, for example, no secrets. You know, I don't want you to have partners that I don't know about. And that's just a basic rule of being considerate in poly. It's not a great feeling to find out that someone you're romantically involved with has been seeing somebody else and you don't know about it. Now, I know for monogamous people... Finding out that your partner is seeing somebody else can be a catastrophe in the end of the world. It's not in polyamory. In polyamory, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with your partners having partners. It would be wrong. It would be cheating. It would be unethical if they are breaking the rules of your relationship as you understand it. So we talked about in BDSM and kink how you know having that negotiation at the beginning is very important. Poly is very much like that. All relationships are very much like that. The better able you are to understand your partner and what they need and who they are and what they expect, the more successful your relationship's going to be. Whether that's monogamy, polyamory, kink and BDSM, your work relationships, you know, this is basic stuff. I know that sometimes that interpersonal communication is difficult, but, you know, take the time, develop those skills because they will serve you well throughout your life. In poly... You know, cheating is kind of especially hurtful in poly because you don't have to. Like, there's no need for secrecy. There's no need to sneak around and have partners that your partners don't know about. So in poly relationships, if you find out that someone has been seeing somebody on the side and not telling you, that's it's bad news. That is bad. Question that I get all the time is, so like, why? You know, why would I share my partner with somebody else? And that's a, a more fundamental one, right? 
not everybody is monogamous by nature. There's a lot of fascinating research into human evolution, mate selection, various pairings, and the durability of those pairings. And that is a topic I could talk about at length. It's a special interest of mine. I read a lot about human evolution and behavior and psychology. It's very interesting to me. But I don't want to dive too much into the weeds here. But there are some things I want to talk about. It should not be surprising to you that humans have only been strictly monogamous very recently. This is a new thing. And not all contemporary humans follow strictly monogamous relationship rules. It is true that like most other mammals, polygamy is the most common form of non-monogamy. Polyandry is not unheard of, however, both in humans and other primates. However you come to it, it is not unclear that our current monomaniacal culture is a product of religious teachings and societal norms, which should be enough to deflate anybody's idea that monogamy is hardwired into humanity, as the religious and moral backing for monogamy is, as we shall say, problematic. Nowhere in the Old or New Testament, the Ur source from where we get most of our moral code and societal norms, at least in Western cultures, will you find a prohibition against polygamy. In fact, you will find multiple commandments requiring polygamy. Some of you know a bit about the Christian Bible, some may not, or the Torah, for example. You know, that's kind of the Ur source of our, our Western morality and most of our laws, for example. And so people will say, you know, oh, well, it goes against Christianity. No, it does not. No, it is not at all. And this is something the church has struggled with. There's a reason that the Mormons split off from the rest of the Christian church. They wanted to be able to practice polygamy, as is dictated in the Bible. And you have to jump through some pretty difficult hoops to try to find a way of prohibiting polygamous relationships via the Bible. You can come up with whatever morality you choose, and you can just say, well, it's wrong, and I think it's wrong. But if your source is the Bible, you're wrong. It's, you look it up, you do some research, and you'll find that it's not against any commandment whatsoever. In fact, there's some commandments that say you have to do this. If your brother dies and his wife is a widow, you must marry her. That is in the Bible. You know, these are things that cultures change, cultures shift. In the 2,000 years since that stuff was written down, a lot has changed. You know, human society, human groups, that's fairly durable. But most recently, the last couple hundred years, we've decided one man, one woman, that is what a marital system is, that is what a partnership is, and there are no alternatives to that. And if you stop and think for a second, whenever you try to apply one rule to all of humanity, it doesn't fit. It's not going to fit everybody. Not everybody's going to be comfortable under that rule, and it's not something that somebody else should dictate to you, you know, just like your sexuality, just like your kink preferences, just like what sports teams you like. Nobody else gets to tell you that. That's within you. Something people will tell me is, you know, Polly just feels wrong to me. I just feel like it's wrong. I know it's wrong. I am the first person to admit that some people are absolutely naturally monogamous. I have no problem accepting that. They would be monogamous in a completely polyamorous society. Like, that's just who they are. I know this because I live in a very strongly, you know, monogamous culture, and I am poly. So I know that some people aren't going to fit into that mold. Some people aren't going to fit under that rule. So yeah, certainly some people are monogamous. That's just who they are. They're hardwired for it. It feels good to them, and it works for them. 
You know, even if society hadn't drilled into them from a very early age that monogamy is not just the right way, it's the only way. You know, however, do you really feel that such a one-size-fits-all rule works for all of humanity? It's finally been accepted by most Western people that heterosexuality isn't for everybody. Though you will still find plenty of people and cultures where it's taboo, it's acknowledged that about 10% of people are not heterosexual. And I don't know the percentage of people who are hardwired for monogamy versus polyamory, but I do believe that as more and more people reject the social, religious, and societal norms that have been laid on them by previous generations, you will see more people being comfortable with the idea that not everybody is made for monogamy. If it doesn't feel right to you, that's fine. Nobody's going to force you to practice this style of relationship at least not the ethical variety. But I would encourage you to ask yourself, why? Why does it feel wrong to you? Is it fear? Is it jealousy? Are you falling into what you've been taught and what you've been raised in and what's been drilled into you from a very early age? Have you ever questioned it? I was taught beyond a shadow of a doubt that homosexuality is wrong and it's an abomination to God and all gay people are going to hell. And the problem with that belief is that once you pull on one string of it, it all unravels. You know, some of these things, if you stop and think about them, you start to say, well, why? That doesn't make sense. Why not? Why can't I have more than one partner? You know, if your only reason is, well, it's against God's will, it's not. I can promise you that. I, I know a lot about the Bible. We'll talk about that some other time. If it doesn't feel good to you, if it's not something you want to do, don't worry about it. You know, that's, that's not what this is about. I'm trying to open people's eyes a little bit as to, and get them to question themselves for a second and ask themselves, well, why do you think it's wrong? Why is it wrong to you? How is it wrong? And if you think about it and you've decided that it's not for you, I will absolutely respect that. However, you can't decide it's wrong for me and you can't decide it's wrong for other people. And that is the agreement that we have to have in society. You live your life the way you want to. I live my life the way I want to. I respect your decisions. You respect mine. But when I try to tell you what to do, and when you try to tell me what to do, you know, we're going to clash. There's going to be a fight there. So this is something that, you know, I will be talking a lot more about poly relationships and how to make them work. I wanted this to be kind of an introduction into, you know, what is poly? How does poly work? Why do people do this crazy thing? So we'll, we'll get into more detail in time. At the end of the day, you have to make your own choice, and that is fine. But before you decide to choose for somebody else what is right, be sure to ask yourself, do you want that person deciding what's right for you? In my case, no, I don't. There is still very heavy stigmatization around being poly. There's no question about that. It's not socially acceptable. It's not accepted legally anywhere. And people who practice polyamory are subject to significant pressure and castigation from their friends and family or at work. You know, it's not something that is a light deal for some people. We've made it safer to come out as homosexual or trans or any of the other rainbow of human sexualities. We're becoming more accepting and that's awesome. I'm really proud of that as a society that we're getting better at that. We're not there yet, but we're getting better. But Polly, it's still apparently completely okay to hate on Polly. 
And as someone that's dated in the modern world, you know, I will match with somebody on a dating service and it's in my profile. Often when I match with somebody, my first thought is they don't know what Polly is. And I will work it into the conversation as soon as I can. You know, what did you do today? Oh, well, I just got back and my partner and I are making dinner. Like I want to put it out there immediately because even though it's in my profiles, some people don't know what the word poly means. Maybe they think I'm a polymath. Maybe they think that I enjoy leisure suits. I don't know. But I get a lot of matches and people obviously don't know what poly is. And nine times out of 10, you know, the question is, what do you mean your partner? And I'll explain to them. And that shows me that they don't know poly. They don't understand what the poly world is. And I cannot tell you the number of times that people have been. It's one thing if people don't want to date a poly person. I completely understand that. I don't necessarily want to date monogamous people. You know, our lifestyles are very different. So I don't blame people for not wanting to date poly people. I do blame them when they get really aggressive and they get really nasty and they will say, you know, really mean and awful things instead of just saying, oh, you know, I didn't understand. I missed that part of your profile. You know, poly's not for me. I don't, you know, sorry to take up your time. I'm fine with that. When people write, oh, you're disgusting, you're just a terrible person, you're just a whore, you're all these things. And I can show you so many conversations from dating sites that I've had where people just feel like, oh, well, you know, they can just say whatever they want because apparently Polly is perfectly fine to beat up on. And it's not, you know, we're people, we're people too. And, you know, I'm a, straight white guy, I know that I don't have a whole lot of things in my life that I need to worry about as far as being discriminated against. And I'm thankful for that. And I understand that privilege. But discrimination in poly is a real thing. And people are very, very quick to judge you and say pretty awful things to you when they find out you're poly. It sucks. It sucks for women too, for, for a lot of different reasons. When guys see poly and they know what it means on a woman's profile, their first thought is, oh, great, you know, no strings attached sex. I can do whatever I want with this person and I don't have to worry about actually dating them, which is not what Polly is. That's not what Polly's about. So just as I try to be a kink educator, I do want to educate a bit on the Polly lifestyle. I want to be a good ambassador for Polly. One of the things that people frequently say to me as an objection to Polly is, I should be enough. And I understand where that comes from. I do. And I sympathize with it. But I also want people to stop and think about it and think about how we set up our society. The problem with this attitude in relationships is that you're placing huge demands on yourself and your partner. You don't go to the same shop to get your teeth fixed and your muffler repaired and your weekly therapy appointment. But you're expecting one person to be everything for you. Everything you need in all of your social relationships and all your physical needs all the time for the rest of your life. One person. And that means that that person can never change. They cannot learn. They can't grow. They have to be the person that you met and decided to be with unchanged for the rest of time. And you can't change. You have to be unchanged for them. And that's part of the problem with this relationship idea of till death we do part is people grow, people learn, people change over time. And unless you are extraordinarily lucky, 
the likelihood of you growing with the person that you met 10 years ago in the same direction and sharing the same interests, the same life goals, for the rest of your life are vanishingly small. Are you still with your first boyfriend or girlfriend? No, why not? Some people can answer that question with yes. And an even smaller percentage of people can say that they're still happy with the first person they ever dated 50 years later. For those people, I am genuinely happy. But expecting everybody to be so fortunate is like expecting to live the rest of your life on successive lottery winnings. You don't just have to win once. You have to keep winning. Every five or so years, you need to win the lottery again to maintain that kind of luck, to maintain that kind of fortune. It happens so rarely that there's news articles, couple happily married for 50 years. But we live in a society that demands that we all try and do exactly that. And that any marriage that doesn't last till death we do part is a failure. And that's just not how it is. If you have a 10-year marriage with somebody and it's a happy marriage, and after 10 years you realize, hey, you know what? I've changed, or you've changed, or we've both changed, and we're not the people we were at 20. We're not. And I want to do different things. I want to go a different direction. That's not a failure. It's not. An unhappy marriage of 10 years is a failure. And that is part of the problem, is we're signing this contract that says... I've met you at 20, and I'm still going to love you and be everything you need at 70. And you can't promise that. No one can promise that because they don't know who they're going to be. They don't know what life's going to throw at them in that next 50 years. And so I have nothing wrong with monogamy. I'm not anti-monogamy. I'm anti this kind of Disney fairy tale of monogamy that there's one right person for you, and that person will be the perfect mate for the rest of your life. It happens so infrequently in the real world that we're setting people up for heartache and disappointment. I think it's a big stressor on relationships. And a big reason marriages fail is we have, we have been pushing this Disney fantasy of what a marriage should be for generations. And relationships are hard and relationships usually don't last for the rest of your life. And if you understand that, if you understand that, you know, a 10-year relationship is a good relationship. If you can be happy with somebody for 10 years, that's a big success. If you guys move in different directions after those 10 years are up, that's not a failure. It's not. And I do want to try and start edging people away from this idea that the only way to be happy is to find one person at 20 and marry that person and live happily ever after. Look at the statistics and see if I'm wrong on this. We are setting people up to fail. I believe we are looking through the telescope from the wrong end. In my experience, there is no such thing as Mr. or Mrs. Wright. There's Mr. or Mrs. Wright now. And I know that's an old joke, but it's true because you're not the same person you were five years ago, right? And people are like trees. When we're younger, we are growing so fast. If you plant a sapling, and come back to it five years later, you will be amazed at how much it's changed over that five years. But if you go visit the 100-year-old oak that was 80 years old when you were a kid, it's not going to look a lot different. But it is still growing. And people are very much like that. You know, when we're younger, we're changing a lot. We're changing so fast. 
We might go through four different personalities through in high school. Some people don't. Some people are very consistent and other people change all the time. But I think that change is much more rapid when we're younger. And as we get older, it slows down, but it never stops. You know, that hundred year old oak tree is still growing and there are changes, but they happen more slowly. So the problem with this is we're expecting people to pair up for a lifetime relationship when they're young, when they're in their 20s or even earlier. And that's when you're changing the most. So if you meet somebody at 20, the chances of you being the same person you were at 20 when you're 30 or 40 or 50 diminish exponentially as you move up. You know, ask me how I know. I've had a lot of relationships and I'm getting older. The more I see, the more I understand that they were good relationships. All of them were good relationships, even the ones that didn't last, because you don't measure the success of a relationship by its longevity. That's one aspect of it. You know, that's one aspect of a good relationship. If you're in a good relationship, you want it to last a long time. That makes sense. But you don't just stick with it thinking that durability and longevity is the only metric of a good relationship. Happiness, fulfillment are much more important. Being miserable for 50 years is like being in hell. You know, I'd much rather have three good years of a healthy, fulfilling relationship than 50 years being at each other's throat the whole time and being stuck in it because society says we can't separate. That is the problem, is that society is making it seem like if you get in a relationship that doesn't work for you, either one of you, getting out of it is some sort of mark of shame. You now have the mark of the divorcee. We've superimposed this very rigid monogamous culture over a natural and unpredictable process of human growth. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. People are expected to pair up in their early 20s and remain together forever. And anything less is a failure. And that's just rubbish. And I believe more and more people are starting to realize this. But while serial monogamy is widely accepted, polyamory is not. And that is very interesting to me. I'm going to continue talking about this in future episodes, but this has already gotten pretty lengthy. So I'm going to wrap up for now with a couple more thoughts and then I'm going to do a quick business update. That wasn't an attack on monogamy. It was an attack on this notion that monogamy is for everybody. So monogamy is fine. If you're a monogamous person, awesome. I'm not trying to change your mind. What I want to do is help people who are poly understand that there's nothing wrong with being poly and help guide people through this process of being more accepting, understanding that, you know, a lot of this is just your prejudice. You're prejudiced against this lifestyle and therefore it's inherently wrong to you. So in brief, I just want to say that, you know, before I get away from the, the poly topic for a while, I will come back around and revisit it, but I'm going to interleave this with the rest of the BDSM podcast. If you're tired about hearing the same thing every week, this will be a nice break. It also means that I can address something that's important to me now versus who knows how long it's going to be till I'm done with this BDSM 101 course, because there's so much to talk about. I hope that I answered a couple, you know, common questions about people's misconceptions about poly as I'm moving through this. Last month, we had the number three video on X Hamster, and I was the number, I think, 24th model. 
And that's very cool. It's more success than I expected this early on that platform. You know, I really appreciate you guys, all you guys watching those videos and helping out. Awesome. X videos doesn't have any sort of contest. We're actually numbers wise. We have more views on X vids. In the near future, I think I will do a breakdown on various different porn sites that I'm familiar with, how they operate, what they allow, what the interaction is like, how hard it is to get set up on them, etc. Xvids and Xhamster are very different. They operate differently. They have different interfaces. My experience with their customer service has been very different. Obviously, I'm going to go with both because I want as many different outlets as I can. In fact, I'm about to start uploading to another site as well because I never want to be in the situation I was with Pornhub where when they shut us down, we lost everything. You know, losing any one leg of this tripod we have now would be difficult. But before we had a monopod and when it failed us, it failed us hard. So yeah, for all you creators out there, be very careful. You know, if, if you're just on YouTube, that can go away. You can get your channel pulled. So make sure you have other ways of getting out there. You know, for you adult creators, be very careful about putting all of your eggs in one digital basket. If you do cam work, don't just do chatterbait. Get set up on more than one camming platform and do some rotation. Because again, if you're dependent on any one of these sites, they can go away tomorrow. So protect yourself better than I protected, you know, my company. We, we barely squeaked through, you know, this was kind of going for that next trapeze and it wasn't there. And that's a really bad feeling to be in. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys helping out and being very supportive. You know, our fans are just amazing. Our fans are amazing. I get so much nice feedback from you guys, you know, considering that I make rough porn for a living. My fan interaction is incredibly wholesome. You know, people say the nicest things and I get lots of great fan mail. I really appreciate that. Keep your questions coming. You know, this can be a question and answer thing full time. I always want to know what you're thinking. And just today I got some very good questions from a watcher, viewer, listener um, that I will be incorporating into, if not next week's episode, one of the episodes coming up soon. So keep those questions coming. You can reach out to me on Pornhub, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, my email address, our website, www.wickedfellow.com. All of our information is there and you can get a hold of us. However is comfortable for you. You know, show notes on our website. Instagram is the platform I'm most comfortable with. I'm on Twitter. I'm just not very good at Twitter. But if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, because that's your platform. Awesome. You know, if you want to write me from your personal email address, feel perfectly safe and comfortable doing that because I'm not interested in betraying that confidence. I'm not going to send you emails. I'm not going to put you on an email list. I'm not going to sell your emails. That's not the business I'm in. My fans are my living. So I'm going to take good care of you guys. You know, I'm never going to do something to betray their trust and privacy. That's not going to happen. You guys are my livelihood. So I, I will take very good care of that information. I'm going to sign off for now. Remember that consent is king. Be gracious to the people around you. Realize that they are going through a lot just like you're going through a lot. And I will see you next week. 